Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Hi, folks. It's Bob Vetter here. Before the podcast starts, I wanted to offer you something for free available on my website, www.bobvetter.com. It's a download of a game and map of the healer's journey called Sustos, named after the traumatic events that can lead to soul loss. The game provides insights in how we ourselves can be healed and how that process empowers us in our healing efforts with others. Get your free download at www.bobvetter.com. Now, let's get to our latest podcast episode. Hello, listeners. I'm here today with Corby Mitleid. Corby Mitleid is a certified tarot master, psychic medium, teacher, and ordained minister. Reading for almost 50 years, she is a full-time intuitive counselor with clients worldwide. Corby is a featured channel in Robert Schwartz's breakthrough series on karma and pre-birth planning, your soul's plan, your soul's gift, and your soul's love. As an author, her self-help guru, uh, her self-help volume, Clean Out Your Life Closet, encourages you to write your own story of change based on your history, your life experiences, and your personal goals. Her books, The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, and You've Got the Magic, Who Needs a Genie, deal with how to use psychic counseling wisely and how to be a successful part of the holistic expo community from the professional side of the aisle. Corby's abilities include tarot and oracle card reading, spiritual intuitive counseling, past life retrieval and analysis, mediumship, and spirit guide conferences, including speaking with one soul or higher self. So Corby, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. So nice to have you with us. Um, Corby, I, I'm, that's a very impressive uh, backstory. Now, if you could kind of share with us how you got to that place. How did you get to the place where you began these readings um, saying 50 years ago, that's a long time ago. Can you tell us what, what got you to the point of being able to do those readings in the first place? Sure, this is what I call my 32nd elevator speech. When I was nine, I read a book called The Witch Family and instead of thinking, ooh, that's scary or ha ha ha, I thought, and your point is, I knew there was magic in the world, I just wanted to find it. Fast forward to 1973 when I was a senior in high school. And yes, that tells you how old I am. Um, I was working part-time at Spencer Gifts. They had the James Bond 007 tarot deck and I bought it. I mean, we were all hippies then. You had your elephant bell bottoms, your fringe jacket and your deck. Five years later, everyone else had moved on to roller skates and disco balls. I was still reading because the cards fascinated me. So for 20 years, I read for friends, learning how to keep my ego out of the way and be a clear channel. All of a sudden, in 1994, I could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training. That's when the universe basically handed me my draft notice and said, hello, you're working for us. Hung out my shingle part-time, 
9-11, as we watched the towers burn, I turned to my husband and I said, I need to do this work full time. People need to know there's another answer out there. He said, I believe in you, go do it. Beautiful. From there, I, I just went and it's been 20 years now. And it's six days a week. I read a thousand people a year. Before the year of murder hornet bingo, I was on the road 45 weekends a year. Mm. I get to get up in the morning. I don't have to get up in the morning. It's a wonderful opportunity. So why you? Why do you suppose it was you that had that special connection? I think it's because I've always, not always, but as I've gotten older, I've learned to live the examined life. Now, what does that mean? You come up against something really awful. Instead of having a pity party or whining or being a victim, you say, okay, this is happening. What can I learn from it? And because I'm a teacher, how can I teach with it and move on and say next? Um, I've been through three bouts of breast cancer, two divorces. I uh, have had the death of all three of my parents, two biologicals and a stepmother I absolutely adored. Um, I'm not rich. There have been times when I've lived in uh, apartments, we used to call it Rape Central in Western Philadelphia, hot and cold with running roaches and drunk sleeping in the doorway. But I'm here at 66, 21 years with my husband, how many years? About 16, 17 years since my final cancer dance. I won't say last, I'll say final. With a career I love that makes a difference to people. If I was busy with a pity party, I don't think I would have gotten there. I wouldn't have had the courage to take the leap. And I, I think that that's a really important point, you know, because it, it it seems to me in speaking with so many people about spiritual awakenings that at some point along the way there's there's some challenge that is kind of a fork in the road that could lead either to self-pity and all of the emotional fallout from that or a certain kind of transformation a certain kind of determination a certain kind of resilience that that we bring to the world. And you use the expression, you said, I've, I've learned to live the examined life. What can I learn from it and then teach? And that's, that's the, the little germ of this that I'd like to focus on for a moment. Sure. So what did you learn for, from it? And what did you then learn how to teach? And how do you do that? When you get stuck in your misery, you don't move. But in um, 1993, four, found a place called the Option Institute in Massachusetts. And they taught me the importance of three questions in every situation. What am I X about? An X can be fearful or angry or whiny or whatever. Why do I feel X about that? And the big question we never ask ourselves, what do you think would happen if you stopped being X about that? So we'll take the cancer thing. Um, when I was young, 
I used to have a Dolly Parton figure, literally put a brunette wig on her and we had the same figure. My first cancer was in 1989 when I was acting in New York, plus working 60 hours a week for a law firm, because that's what you did as an inspiring actor. Um, four lumpectomies, radiation at Sloan Cat, and I beat it. The second cancer was in 2000, and that was uh, skin cancer from the radiation. So mm. they excised that. They were misshapen. They were scarred, but I still had them. Year and a half after I married my Carl, went in for my normal mammogram, and they found microcalcifications. And they did biopsies, and then they said, okay, it's a second primary, that's good, brings you back down to zero, but it's three strikes, you're, you're out. So we're taking the rack, we're taking the ovaries because that will cut your estrogen level down to nothing because this is ER positive. And you're going to go from being a Dolly Parton figure to a fat fire plug with permanent side effects. And what they also didn't tell me, it was going to damage me so thoroughly that any kind of sex was off the table for the rest of my life. Nothing I can do about it. No, you're not allowed to take anything that'll help because you had cancer, just suck it up, we saved your life. Now, you know, the side effects, et cetera, I didn't really know how bad that was going to be until afterwards. But there I was. Would, if my husband had only been married a year and a half, would he stay with me? Who was I going to be without what I had known since I was 11? How much pain was I going to have to go through chemo and lose my hair and all of those horrible things? So I went home and cried for 24 hours. I am normal. But then I said, I had to find three reasons to be okay with it. What do I think would happen if I stopped being afraid of it? And I didn't care how stupid they were. So I said, all right, number one, you don't have them, you can't get cancer there. So ovarian cancer, breast cancer, never again. Number two, the top half is not going to get slammed in the refrigerator door at the doctor's every year. And every woman listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. Third, implants, cool. I'll be perky till I'm 93. To the point where when I went into surgery, I was hopped up on Fentanyl and Versed, which is a really great pre-op cocktail, put you at the outskirts of left field and space cadet. And I said to the oncology surgeon, you got three hours for the demolition work. And I looked at my plastic surgeon and said, you got three hours for the front end alignment. I want to be out in six. Boom. Well, I was out of Massachusetts General Hospital in three days, shopped for a bathing suit in five. They said they hadn't seen anybody recover that fast in 15 years. That was 2004. Here I am and still married. Because what I found was I had married the exact right guy who looked at me and said, am I gonna miss him? Oh yeah, they were gorgeous. But I married you, not them. Mm. Beautiful. So that was, the, that was the big dark night of the soul. And what is your personal relationship, I guess, between that and your, spirit, your sense of spirituality? The, the, the connection between your ability to endure that and your, your spiritual beliefs and practices? Well, it's an interesting thing. There is um, a book that I read back maybe in the 90s um, 
and it deals with Michael. Now, Michael is a causal entity. This is not the Archangel Michael. And they tell us that we choose roles and that is the soul does. And the roles and subset, if you will, that I have, priest, sage. Priest is the one that people come to for confession, for healing. And a sage is the one who can tell the world. And words are my drug of choice. I will completely admit that. Um, so if I can prevent somebody else from having to go through the pain I did, why wouldn't I? Because I am, I call it a charismatic. We are the bigger than life personalities that people either adore or can't stand. Well, that's me. And a lot of it is because as charismatics, we know who we are. <laughs> and we're happy to share that with the world. So people will listen to me. And if I can give them tools to make their life better, wonderful. What I tell people when I read is, look, we hand you the toolbox, but we're not the repairman. You have to do it. And so spirit, now we could all do what I do. I have to tell you guys, the way I explain it, we all have 10 fingers. All of us can pick out chopsticks. Some of us really wanna to learn to play well. So we learn how to play scales and we spend time practicing. One in 10 million is Elton John. Now I'm not saying I'm an Elton John, but I have spent time to learn how to do what I do. And spirit, looks at the tools we have, <coughs> sorry, and uses them, directs us of what we're going to do. I'm a storyteller. So for me, cards, oracle decks, I can tease the story out of them so that people can remember. Um, I love history. So Spirit said, great, we're going to have you do past life retrieval. What does that mean? You go to two of us who can get past lives. Someone else might say, well, I see you in a long skirt and a big hat. So I know you were female in front of this uh, big archway. It's old fashioned. Me, because of my background, I could look at that and say, that's a hobble skirt, a picture hat. I see that kind of ostrich feather and you're standing in front of the Brandenburg gate. So this is Berlin in 1911 or 12. Which one's going to be more useful? So on the other hand, there are some people that do amazing work with pendulums. I have a slight benign tremor in my right hand, which is my dominant hand. So I wouldn't trust what I get from a pendulum. Is it really doing that or is it me? So I don't use a pendulum. But all of us have some gift we can give. We just have to open up to it. What I tell people is I'm not special. You can do what I do. And as a matter of fact, I lost a shot at a reality show because they wanted me to say, oh, I'm so special and nobody can do And I'm going, that's counter to everything that I've taught people all my life. And so I passed up the deal to stay true to who I am. So I love what you had to say about teasing out a story from a tarot deck, because I think mm -hmm. that that kind of runs counter to the way that most people might look at intuition and this sort of psychic gift that we're talking about here. The one that you have and the one that that perhaps is dormant in everybody else. 
and obviously uh, better developed in you than than other people. But let's go back to let's go back to this idea of teasing out a story. I love that. Can you sure. tell us more about? Two, yeah, I have two cards that I can show you. Um, part of it is, of course, that I do very deep dish readings, multiple cards. I don't just pull four cards and say, wait until January and fire the second redhead. But I teach people how to see what's behind the cards. This is a very typical card. It's the tower card. And it's a you know, tower collapsing and burning and people falling and people think it's doom, gloom and destruction. What I tell people is no, I want you to think about it as the imploding sports stadium. For instance, Yankees wanna build a new stadium. They gotta blow up the old one first and clear the ground. That's what you're being asked to do. The fool card is not the stupid person. It's the exuberant rookie. He's holding a rose. He has a hobo stick and a dog and he's about to walk off a cliff. What's the allegory? If you grab hold of what you're passionate about, carry very little old emotional baggage and only tell those who are loyal to you where you're going, you can cross mountains and fly. That is a level of interpretation that very, very few tower masters will go into, but people love stories. Now, I just gave you the example of uh, what might come across if you asked about a business. If someone says to me, is my business going to be successful? I look at them and I go, and what if I said no and you're going to lose everything and live in a box under a bridge? Wrong question. You ask how to empower. What do I do to make the business rock and roll? Then it's a card for you, a card for the energy around the business, the brick and mortar location, how to market it, clients, competition, staff, finances, what you need to know and best possible outcome. Now that is going to give you everything in nuance so you know where to move forward. It means that I am not the mystic that you keep having to come through to because you can't think for yourself. That's a hook. That's what the fake gypsies do. Well, you have a family curse. How many in your family? Four, you have dog. Oh, forget it. <laughs> so, and if a woman says to me, I didn't know you, my husband, we're having problems. Does Bruce really love me? I will pull a card for her, a card for Bruce, a card for the relationship as it stands, what she needs to know and best possible outcome. I still don't know what to do. Fine, she gets three threes. Three cards for status quo, she does nothing. Three cards for a come to Jesus meeting, it's a line in the sand encountering. And three cards for hostile bye-bye, it's been nice. I'll write your postcard, she leaves. I will tell her exactly what I see in all three of those triplets, but unless, she tells me that she has been abused. I will not tell her what to do because that takes away her free will. But yeah, if she says that her husband hits her or there's, you know, she's afraid of him, then I'll put on my reverend collar and do a little pastoral counseling and say, you need to leave. But otherwise, no, it has to be up to them or I take away their free will, and that means I take away their ability to grow. Well, I love that you mentioned that because, you know, unfortunately, a lot of psychics have have uh, kind of done what you've described in taking away free will. And they do that yes. to, in order to have this relationship where the, the client has to return again and again and again because they've given over their free will they've given over their sovereignty to another person who now owns and them. it also if the psychic says i have to do this in order to look good that's their ego getting in the way of what they do 
mm-hmm. you know, as John Holland, the very famous medium says, kids, you're just the tube it comes through. It isn't you. So, so the less you- ego you have, the better your readings. Excellent. So can you give us an example of just pull it, you know, pull a reading out of the air of someone who came to you and through the messages that were revealed that they were better able to see their options and make decisions that were empowering their life? Um, let me see. Well, I know I, I have the don't shoot the messenger story. Um, but that is, I saw a couple of incidents happening. They said was a pile of bull and then they happened. So sure. Let's but, hear that story too. All right. This was up in Kitchener, Ontario. Uh, I saw a couple of difficult situations that I said, looked like they were coming down the pike. I didn't say they have to happen, but you need to watch out for these. And the woman gets up from my booth and says, you suck. And she walks away. Okay. Cool. Next time I'm in Kitchener, who's the first person to sit down in my chair? She said, last time I said you sucked. I said, yes, I remember. <laughs> because you told me that I was going to want to take in a border and then I might want to sell my house. And I thought that was all bull. But my daughter moved home when she got pregnant. And now I want to sell my house so I can raise my grandson. And I still don't like you, but I want to see what else you see. <laughs> don't you, the messenger. Um, there were several people who were at a crossroads with what to do with their lives. And I didn't tell them what to do, but I said, let's look at all the things you would love to do. See where the energy lies. Then I worked with them to see what their gifts were. And so one person who had been doing, you know, the slow death by retail for years started to write, which was her dream. Now, writing is tough. You can't always make all the money you need by writing. I've got three books out. It's nice mailbox money, but I still do this. But this woman, she's another Canadian. She's now published 11 books. She's won awards. And she said, I was the first person that told her, this is what's your heart and soul. Don't be afraid to do it. Now, I didn't say you have to do it. I didn't say God will be angry at you and punish you if you don't. But I said, this is the golden rose you have inside. Mm. You're allowed to water it. You're allowed to nurture it. And yes, if you want it to, it can bloom. Big difference. I have always said I am not a Madam Hoo-ha or a Swami Smolanda. I don't want to be anybody's guru, but I'll be their mentor. So typically, how how many times does a client come to you? Some of them come once, one and done. And that's great. If I gave you what you need to go on with your life, fabulous. Some come more often. And there is no set how often you need to do a reading. If I do a reading with one of my clients and she comes back six weeks later and says, I operated with everything that we talked about. And now this is how the business has changed or this is how the relationship has changed. Now what? Fine. But if you come to me even just once a year, And it's always the same stuff. And I'm always telling you the same thing. After three years, I'm like a good bartender. I cut you off. You're wasting your time and your money. So don't. And what do you think is the source of this information? I have no idea. (laughs) I I go upstairs and, and the whole point is 
I'm here in service. I am the tube. Um, the, you know, people ask about where do you get the past life stuff? I don't know, but you see, there's a difference between retrieval and regression. I don't regress you. I'm not a hypnotherapist. I'm the one that goes upstairs and grabs the information for you. But you present me with a question. A um, couple of quick examples. A woman came to me and said, my son is so clingy. He's, you know, 24 and he still doesn't do anything until he's checked it with me. And I'm nervous about this. What's going on? Is there a past life thing? And um, I went upstairs and I said, yep, Utah Beach, you were his commanding officer. He had shrapnel in the leg. He was going to die there. You pulled him off. You took some wounding yourself, but both of you managed to live through it. She looks at me and she says, do you see my rank? And I said, yes, you were a sergeant. And she looks at me and she says, the kid has always called me Sarge since he was three and we never knew why. That's one. A woman came to me and said, I've always been fascinated by the Underground Railroad. I have no idea why, but it's an obsession. And I say, okay, I see a small, low ceiling, you know, whitewashed paneled room. There is a, a old, skinny, wrinkled black woman in the bed, it's a little iron bed. You're kneeling by the bedside. I see, it must be about 1862 because I see a gray dress with black soutache. Um, and there are two taller men. They're tall enough that they have to bend to stand up in the room. And all of you are very sad and grieving because there was great affection for this black woman and you just couldn't get her up to Boston fast enough. And I open my eyes and she looks at me, tears are running down her face. She says, I've had that dream for 20 years mm. and never knew, but it was a recurring dream. I have no idea where I get it from. I basically say, okay, boss, I'm on the clock. <laughs> the ego goes and reads a magazine and it comes through. Wonderful. So now how about our listeners who, who want to find a little bit of that in their own life? Maybe they don't know exactly what their gift is. Yours, yours unfolded in a very curious way when you mm -hmm. were working at the import store and you found those cards and stayed with it but what about somebody who who doesn't know yet what their gift is and they they want to connect with this in, amazing intuitive ability amazing ability to tap into an information that that goes beyond our own individual limitations where do we start well that's why i always have this little postcard i give out at shows it's the books that i love for spiritual awakening and there are a couple that i would recommend for them on that one um there's one called Opening to Channel, How to Connect with Your Guides by Sanaya Roman and Dwayne Packard. That's how I learned 30 years ago, guys. It's still a good book. It's still out there. But you really do have to learn Protection Bootcamp. So I also recommend uh, Psychic Protection, Balance and Protection for Body, Mind, and Spirit by Ted Andrews. And then experiment. See what you're drawn to. Remember, I said that my gifts are I was a theater major at Brown. I understand characters. Words are my drug of choice, so I love writing. And I have the historical background to do the past lines. Your tool, I mean, me, I can't draw a stick figure with a sharp pencil and a lot of prayer. If you're an artist, maybe you're going to do spirit art. You draw people's spirit guides for them. Maybe you specifically connect with angels or animals. Whatever you love, that's generally where spirit will say, let's go play in that playground. So experiment and find out. You're not supposed to do everything. You're supposed to do what you love. Beautiful answer. Love it.
So, Corby, how do our listeners get a hold of you? They can't avoid me. Nah. Uh, <laughs> number one, the website is corbymitlide.com. And that's how to make an appointment with me. There are lots of articles on it. You can sign up for my newsletter, all kinds of good stuff. If you want me on Facebook, it is Fire Through Spirit. And that's where I do my um, once a month free reading hour where it's, you know, quick one card questions so that I can get as many people as possible. If you look under Corby Mitlide, you'll find me YouTube, Patreon, Pinterest, Instagram, the whole thing. So I'm out there. Out there. (laughs) I am out there. Now, what about Mitlide? That's that's an interesting spelling. Yeah, Corby Mitlide is actually a chosen name. Um, Remember that Elton John used to be Reginald Dwight. So I do have my birth name, which I keep very private. But Corby Mitlide, Corby is Gaelic for ravens. Ravens are my baby birds. I love them. And Mitlide is the German word for compassion, which reminds me why I do the work. So that's where Corby Mitlide came from. How do you spell Mitlide? M-I-T-L-E-I-D. And your website is CorbyMitlide.com. That's right. Wonderful. Corby Mitlides, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It was a pleasure. It was great to be here. Thanks for asking. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. Before you go, I wanted to remind you of free healing resources available on my website, www.bobvetter.com. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.